the gospel is and must always remain the primary message of the church. We have talked about that in the previous weeks. We will continue to talk about it every week that we're in this series in some way. Um, part of what we have to remember tonight, though, or for, with it, is the, the church is not the building. Right? It is the people. Really, the, the church isn't even our gathering here. This isn't the church. As we leave here, we are the church. We, we are the church everywhere we go and in all we do. So there is a sense in which the gospel should be, with you and me, it should be our central message. Right? We must be clear about the gospel. We, when we gather here, we sure should be, sent to be clear about the gospel. But it's not just here. As we go out in our day, in our lives, people may ask us questions about salvation and about Jesus and about what's right and what's wrong. And in those instances, you and I must be clear about the gospel. We, we cannot waffle on it. We cannot waver on it. We have to make sure that the gospel is central to the message we try to share with other people. Now, in order for the gospel to be central to all that we're trying to do, we must be explicit in our proclamation of the gospel when we're given the opportunity. Right? Now, keep in mind, ordinary people taking the gospel to other ordinary people, that is how the gospel advanced in the early church. When you read the book of Acts, I mean, there are those big gatherings like the day of Pentecost where thousands were saved. But those gatherings, those what we would call today like an evangelistic crusade type meeting, that wasn't how the gospel primarily advanced. Primarily what happened was ordinary people, not apostles, not pastors, not deacons, Ordinary people went through their life and they looked for opportunities. They shared the gospel as those opportunities came up. We see this really clearly, particularly like in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 tells that the early church was now suffering deep and abiding persecution. It had gone from persecuting the leaders of the church to now persecuting the, the regular people. And so they were scattered out of Jerusalem. Now the apostles weren't. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem but the regular believers, they left. They had to flee Jerusalem and they went everywhere. And the Bible says in Acts 8, 4, that they were scattered abroad and they went everywhere preaching the word. Again, that wasn't the apostles. They were still in Jerusalem. This was your ordinary, everyday believers who left Jerusalem. They left and they went where they went. And where they went, they talked to people about Jesus. This is still... The most effective way to the, for the gospel to spread today. The most effective way for the gospel to spread in Diamond. It's not for us to have big days at church and all of us to invite our unbelieving friends. Now, we do have big days and we should invite our unbelieving friends to church. But how many of us know we invite people to church and they don't come? How many of us know that no matter how often we plan a big... I mean, we have Easter. That's a, that is a big day every year forever. How many of us know that people we invite to come on that big day don't come? Many will tell us they'll come, but then they don't show up. So clearly, trying to bring all of the lost people of God into our church or to the Nazarene church or to any other church and have them hear the gospel there and be saved in church is not the most effective method of reaching our community for Christ. The most effective method is still and will always be as we leave this building 
And we go out among the community and we go to eat or to work or to play or to walk or to exercise or whatever we do. That we are aware of the fact that the people around us desperately need Jesus. We are aware of the opportunities that arise for us to talk to them about Jesus. And when those opportunities arise, we tell them about Jesus. But again, if we're going to be faithful witnesses of the gospel in that moment when the opportunities arise, we must be explicit with the gospel. We cannot assume that they understand anything we're saying or anything we would understand about Jesus. We have to explicitly state what the gospel is and what they must do in response to the gospel. And being faithful witnesses and proclaiming the gospel is what we're going to talk about tonight. So open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15. Should be page 879 in your pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Our primary text for the entire series is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. I'm going to read all 11 verses, but verse 1 and, in a lesser way, verse 3 are the primary passages for tonight. 1 Corinthians 15, 1, Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand. By which also you are saved, if you keep in memory that which I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which, which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, that He was buried, and that He rose again on the third day, according to the Scriptures. And that He was seen of Cephas, and of the twelve. And after that, He was seen of, seen of about five hundred brethren at once, of the whom the greater part remain unto the present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James and of all the apostles. And last of all he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles and not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And this grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. For I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I but the grace of God which was in me. Therefore whether it were I or they so we preach and so ye believed. Title of the message tonight is Proclaiming the Gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise, worthy of our devotion. We are thankful tonight, Lord, for the opportunity to gather to study your word, to see what it is to understand the gospel and proclaim the gospel. Guide us, Lord, as we look at this tonight and help us to take it to heart and let us be explicit about the gospel as we go out and as we're given opportunities to proclaim it to others. Father, help us not to assume it, help us not to waffle on it, help us to be straight, and to be true, to be loving and kind, but be faithful to your word above all else. God, we, we want to be a people that reach our community for Jesus. We know our community is desperately spiritually dark, desperately in need of Christ and the salvation that he came to bring. And Lord, we must be about your business. We must be about the business of making disciples of all nations. Give us opportunities. Help us to have the courage to take them. And as we do, let us see souls won into the kingdom. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Now Paul says in verse 1, he is going to declare to them the gospel he had already preached to them. Now the way Paul worded it is interesting. Right, He is going to declare to them the gospel which he preached. And what he's kind of saying is he's going to explain it to them all over again as though they had never heard it before. Right Now, they had and they had received it and they were standing in it and they were saved by it. But there was a, an element of false doctrine that was coming into the church and was beginning to lead them astray. And so he's kind of what he's saying is he's starting all over again. Here are the basics. This is the gospel. Right? And in verse 3 he says that he delivered unto them. 
that first of all which he received. So he had preached the gospel, he had delivered the gospel, and now he was going to declare the gospel. 1 Corinthians 2.2 tells us that when Paul arrived in Corinth, he determined to know nothing among them save Christ and him crucified. So for the year and a half, Paul was there. He didn't get into deep theological arguments. He didn't talk about the end times. He didn't get into all the kind of things that people might want to talk about. Instead, as the church gathered, however often they did, he declared unto them Christ and him crucified. He was very explicit about the gospel. He did not assume that they understood anything. He did not come to them and say, well, you know the message of the gospel, so we'll go on to these things. Every time he was explicit with the gospel, he never once assumed that they knew the gospel. Not when he first arrived and they were pagans, but not even after he's writing this letter to them. He does not assume the gospel in their lives. He is always explicit in proclaiming the gospel. And what Paul did is what we must do. We must explicitly proclaim the gospel. We cannot assume Anything regarding spiritual things. We cannot assume the gospel. And when we assume the gospel, what we're doing is we are assuming those we're talking to understand the gospel. We're assuming they understand Jesus has died for their sins and rose again. The reality is most people in our culture do not understand that anymore. If there ever was a day where the culture at large understood when you said the gospel... Or you said be saved. Or you said something like what Jesus did. And they automatically understood it. If there was ever a day where that was the case, we are not in that day any longer. The general population of our town in Oklahoma, if you go to them and say, well, you believe the gospel, right? They may say yes, but if you say, then what is the gospel? They're not going to be able to explain it. They do not understand it. We cannot assume that people understand the gospel. We cannot assume the foundation of the gospel has been laid upon their lives and that as we talk to them, we are building upon that foundation. Now, it may not seem like much of a big deal to say we can't assume the gospel and must be explicit about it. But it is dangerous and spiritually deadly to assume the gospel in anyone's life. There are at least four results of assuming the gospel and not proclaiming the gospel. First is we drift into sentimentalism. Sentimentalism is when we talk about the benefits of the gospel without actually talking about the gospel. Probably the the greatest way this is seen, most common way this is seen, is at funerals. We talk about God's love, we talk about streets of gold, we talk about a place where there's no more pain, there's no more loss, there's no more sickness, there's no more death. And all of those things are true. And all of those things are wonderful truths of Scripture. The reality is, those things are not true for everyone. Those things are only true for those who have repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ. The reality is, nice people do not go to heaven. When they die. Good people do not go to heaven when they die. People who suffer terribly with sickness and then die. Don't go to heaven. Only people who repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ go to heaven. It doesn't matter if they have an easy life or a hard life. None of that qualifies them for heaven. Only repentance and faith 
in Jesus. And when we talk about the benefits of the gospel without being explicit about the gospel, we reduce the gospel to a therapeutic warm blanket that is meant to shield people from the harsh, cold realities of life like death and hell and eternity. Now, some are going to push back and say, oh, but but in that moment, those people need hope and they need comfort. And, and that's true. The gospel is hopeful. The gospel is comforting. Talking of heaven in that time does help. But what if they aren't Christians? What if they never even remotely made a profession of faith and everybody out here knows it? And we're saying, oh, they're in a better place. They're all well and not sick anymore. What does that do in their life? You know what it does? It hardens their heart. It confirms them in their sin. It tells them anyone can make it to heaven without Jesus. Everyone goes to heaven whether they believe in Jesus or not. The false gospel of sentimentalism is, is dangerous and damning. And when we assume the gospel, rather than explicitly proclaim the gospel, we harden people's hearts, we comfort them in their sins, and we push them from Jesus and actually keep them out of heaven rather than doing anything to help them be sure they go there themselves. So when we are assuming the gospel, instead of explicit about the gospel, we will drift into sentimentalism. We will also drift into moralism. Moralism is when we focus on the commands of Scripture apart from the gospel. Right? When we focus on the, the do's and the don'ts of Scripture without being explicit about the done of the gospel. When we do that, we teach a false gospel of moralism. Now, clearly... Scripture is filled with a boatload of things we are told to do these things or don't do those things. And those commands are all tremendously important. For First John says that if we do not obey Him, we do not know Him, and we are liars if we say we do. So the commands are important. But just as important, more important. Why do we do those things? Why do we do the do's and why do we not do the don'ts? Do we do them so God will accept us? Or we do them because God has accepted us in Christ? Do we do them to be righteous in God's eyes? Or do we do them because Christ has made us righteous? Do we do them so God will love us? Or do we do them because God has loved us in Christ? Now, those motivations may sound similar, but they are very, very different. One flows out of the gospel. One flows out of a heart that has been redeemed and a life that has been born again. The other flows from a false gospel of moralism. It flows from an unredeemed heart. It flows from a life that has not been born again. Preaching the commands of Scripture without preaching the gospel is teaching a works-based salvation. What people hear is, be good, do better, don't sin, try harder. And none of that is the gospel. None of that is the gospel. 
Everything we do in our service and devotion to Jesus, it flows out of what Jesus has already done for us. If we assume the gospel and are not clear about our standing before God being based solely upon what Christ has done for us and not anything we ever do for Christ, we drift into moralism. It's a false gospel. It it is damning to people. Because it teaches them you can be good enough on your own. And they just can't. So we drift into sentimentalism. We drift into moralism. We drift into universalism. Universalism is when we focus on God's great love for humanity without making explicit the need for the humanity to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus. Let me me make a couple of statements that, that may sound shocking but are still true. People don't go to heaven because God loves them. People don't go to heaven because Jesus died for them. People go to heaven because God loves them. Jesus died for them. And they repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ for their salvation. God loves all people. I mean, as free will Baptists, that is one of the the main fundamental tenets of our belief system. Jesus died for For all. The free offer of the gospel. Jesus died for Osama bin Laden. God loves Osama bin Laden. Did he want to go to heaven when he died? By no means. Because he rejected the offer of the gospel. And chased after a a false gospel of Islam. And when we focus on God's love. Without being explicit about the gospel. What gets communicated. Is God loves you just like you are. And you're fine. Just like you are. Which is not true. Those who do not repent of their sins. And do not believe in Jesus. They will go to hell. Despite the fact God loves them. Despite the fact Jesus died for them. The gospel is not God loves you. And Jesus died for you. To comfort you in your sins. And leave you just as you are. Everything about salvation teaches us that's not the case. Salvation is called being born again. That's dramatic change. Paul calls it regeneration. Also dramatic change. Jesus is described as a redeemer and a deliverer. So Jesus not only forgives our sins, but He redeems us from the penalty of sin and He delivers us from slavery to sin. Right. So when we go to someone who's living in sin and we say, it's okay, it's okay. God loves you. Jesus died for you. You're fine like that. We do not help them. We do not lead them to salvation. We drift into a false gospel of universalism. And we say, everybody's okay. Everybody's going to make it. And it's a lie. It is a lie. If we assume the gospel and we focus on God's love without making explicit the need to respond to the gospel with repentance and faith, we drift into universalism and we damn the people we talk to. We must not do that. And then finally, we leave people in ignorance. If we assume the gospel, instead of explicitly preaching the gospel, 
We leave people ignorant of the gospel. In the end, we leave them condemned to hell without ever giving them the information they need so they can make the response of repentance and faith and then be saved. When we just assume the gospel, we leave those who are ignorant of the gospel in that state. And no matter if we give them good morals, and no matter if we make them feel good about their life, and no matter if we give them warm, gushy feelings about the goodness of heaven, we leave them lost, we leave them separated, we leave them condemned, and the wrath of God will fall upon them, and they will spend eternity in hell where the smoke of their torments will rise forever and ever. We must explicitly proclaim the gospel. And to explicitly proclaim the gospel means at some point we must verbally share the gospel. At some point, the words of the gospel must flow from our mouth. Now, there are a lot of methods for sharing the gospel. Romans Road to Salvation. One verse evangelism based upon Romans 6.23. Way of the Master based upon the Ten Commandments. Share Jesus without fear. Several others. And they're all good. They're all good. I mean, none of them are bad. But the method we use isn't necessarily as critical as making sure all of the elements of the gospel are included. This series that we're doing isn't so much about here's a method of sharing the gospel. More of making sure we know the gospel so clearly that we can weave it into our conversations. We can be faithful to it without having to pull out a tract, without having to try to memorize a particular presentation and the right flow of things. That we will just know the gospel so much in our hearts that the natural overflow of our mouth will be explicit gospel. So what are the elements? There are four elements necessary for an explicit gospel presentation. First, we must say Jesus. It's not enough to say to say God. The reason is from Kabbalah to Mormonism to Jehovah's Witness and the Church of Scientology and even Oprah. There are broad ideas about what is meant when you say God. In the days of the word God explicitly meaning the Christian God of the Bible, Yahweh, the creator and sustainer of all things. Those days are long gone and they're not coming back. If all we say is God, people are up to interpret that however they want. And what will happen is we will have a conversation with someone about the need to believe in God, the need to give themselves to God, the need to serve God. And they will agree with everything we're saying. But what we mean when we say God is the God of the Bible, God that came through Jesus. And what they're meaning is some interpretation of God, some God they've built in their own minds. And it's not clear. So it's not enough to just say To say, God, we must say Jesus. Because Jesus is a dividing line. Jesus brings clarity. When I say God, do I mean the God of Islam? Do I mean the God of Mormonism? Do I mean the God of Kabbalah? Do I mean the God of the New Age movement? Well, I don't know. But when I say Jesus, we cut through all of that. And we get right to the heart of what really matters. And we see this in Paul's declaration. Look at verse 
3. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. That he, Christ, was buried. And he, Christ, rose again on the third day according to scripture. And, and he, Christ, was seen. All in all, Paul is pretty explicit about Jesus. He's not saying God. He's not saying some general sense. He is saying Jesus. And when we talk about Jesus, there is particular elements we're to talk about. Again, Paul mentions the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So as we are going to be explicit with the gospel, we have to talk about Jesus. He died and that he rose again. But we can't talk about Jesus as a good moral man who was oppressed and wrongly convicted and died a martyr because that's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible, He died for our sins. He died for a very specific reason, but He didn't stay dead. He literally, physically rose from the dead to prove all He said was true. He could forgive sins. He could save the lost. He could cause people to be born again. He would pour out the Spirit upon His church. If we are not clear about the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, then we have not shared the gospel explicitly. We have not explicitly proclaimed the gospel. We must say Jesus. Secondly, we must address sin. Now, this is unpopular. And this is where the offense of the gospel can come in. But we still must address sin. We have not faithfully explained the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus without talking about sin. Because why did Jesus die? Well, according to Paul, he died for our sins. So his death is significant because of our sin. Why do I need Jesus? Why can I not just be moral? Why is everyone not okay? Why are you saying I need your Jesus and not this over here? Because of my sin. I have sinned against a holy God. And if I don't understand my sin, why do I need Jesus? So there is a point in which we have to explain all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. People must understand they have sinned against a holy God and are justly condemned for their sin. But sin is not some bad thing done out there somewhere. Sin is something we've all done. Sin is not merely a mistake we've made. Sin is a rebellion. Against the rule and the reign of Almighty God. Sin is saying no one will rule over me, not even God. I will do as I will. And no one will tell me any differently. If people do not understand that, they will never understand the significance of Jesus' death on the cross. And if they do not understand the significance of Jesus' death on the cross, they will never see their need for Jesus. 
And if they do not see their need for Jesus, they will never call upon Jesus to save them. Jesus died to pay the penalty for sin. But not just, again, not just sin out there somewhere. My sin. Your sin. And as we talk to people, we must explain to them their sin. If they do not believe Jesus died for their sin, they do not believe the gospel. If we do not address sin in the robust, clear way Scripture does, we have not been explicit in our proclamation of the gospel. We have waffled, we have compromised, we have shrunk back in fear, and we have not helped the person in any way escape the wrath to come. We must address sin. But we also must call for a response. But the gospel is more than a message we hear. The gospel demands we do something in response to the message. Right? Paul says in verse 1 that they received the gospel and they were standing in the gospel. Right? So they, they had responded. There are In the Bible there are two proper responses to a gospel proclamation. Repentance and faith. Right, we see in verse 2, they had re- believed the gospel, by which you are also saved if you keep in memory that which I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. Right, so at one point, they had believed the gospel. Now, we don't see the idea of repentance in 1 Corinthians 15, but we do see it all over Scripture. Right, so I, I didn't put it on the screen, but here's some references you can look up later. But Luke 13, really verses 1 through 5, but in verses 3 and verse 5, Jesus says some variation of, except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. Now, that one is really important. I don't have time to go into it in detail. But they mention people that died in tragedy. What about those people on whom the Tower of Siloam fell? What about those people that Pilate killed and mingled their blood with a sacrifice? Aren't they the worst people of all? To which Jesus said, I tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. He, he expected it. In Luke 24, 47, Jesus said, Repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among the nations. On the day of Pentecost, people asked Peter what to do to be saved. His first word was, Repent. When Paul gave his final message to the Ephesian elders, he told them he had testified both to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 20 and verse 21. And when Paul talked about the Thessalonians coming to Christ, he said they had turned to God, they had turned from sin, and they were serving the living and true God. Now the word repentance is never mentioned there. But that is a near perfect picture of what repentance is. Repentance is a change of mind about God and sin that results in a change of life. They turn to God. And necessarily they turn from their sins. And then they served the living God. Repentance is to recognize God is right about the wickedness of our sin and our lack of righteousness. 
Repentance then leads to turn to God, seeking forgiveness for our sins. And, and that's just it. As we turn to God, we are necessarily turning from our sins. So the biblical response to the gospel of Jesus Christ is to repent of our sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are both critical elements to responding to the gospel. No one has properly responded to the gospel unless they have turned to God from sin. Unless there is repentance, there is no actual response. And if there is no faith, there is no actual response. And if we have not called for people, we share the gospel and we do not call for them to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ, we have not explicitly proclaimed the gospel. We must call for people to respond. And then finally, we must believe the gospel is good news. The world is doing all it can to make us believe the gospel is bad and we should be ashamed of the gospel. I mentioned two stories before. One is a guy who said evangelism is like spiritually raping someone. And those who evangelize are monsters who use a weaponized and twisted form of Christianity. A few years ago, the Child Evangelism Fellowship went to Portland to do backyard Bible studies and VBS type stuff. As they went into communities, they met protesters who worked hard to convince the parents not to send their kids to Child Evangelism Fellowship meetings because the things they would be taught would psychologically harm them. Things they were going to be taught, the doctrine of sin, redemption, they were going to talk to them about the gospel. And it would psychologically harm those children. See, here's the deal. The greatest danger is not the world embracing the mindset that the gospel is bad. That evangelizing is wrong. The world has almost always had some method of that mindset. The great danger is when we embrace that mindset. Because when we are ashamed of the gospel... When we think we're oppressing people, we're trying to force our religion on them, that we might psychologically scar them by talking about sin and redemption and the gospel. We will not share the gospel. We will not boldly and explicitly proclaim the gospel. This is why I say we must be convinced the gospel is good news. And when people repent of their sin and believe in Jesus Christ, the guilt for their sin is taken away. They're declared righteous by God. And their guilt and their sin is taken away and it is replaced by the righteousness of Christ. Nothing else can do that. It's good news. Not only is is the gospel good news because of what Christ is doing, as we try to share the gospel to them, Jude says it's like we're snatching people from the flames of judgment. But Jude expressly pictures people dangling over the fires of hell. And that at some point, what is holding them up is going to snap and they're going to fall into judgment. And as we evangelize them, we're trying to draw them out of that. We're trying to save them from the judgment to come. What we do in evangelism, what we do in explicitly proclaiming the gospel, it is the greatest good we can possibly do to someone's life. And we must be convinced of that if we are not We will assume the gospel. And we will tell people, God loves you. 
Well, I can't say whether or not that's wrong. That's not for me to decide. Oh, you believe that everybody goes to heaven? Well, I just don't know what the Bible says. I, you just have to take that up with God. I, I don't. That's above my pay grade. If we do not believe the gospel deep in our soul and deep in our hearts, that it is good news of great joy, as the Bible says, we will waffle under the weight of the world's condemnation. We will cowardly shirk our responsibility and we will not help anyone escape the judgment to come. We must, we must believe the gospel is good news. And these elements of the gospel must be present for us to explicitly proclaim the gospel. And we must, we must explicitly proclaim the gospel. There's a snazzy quote that goes around Christian circles and it's often used to counteract the idea that we must proclaim the gospel and it says, preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. It's often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi but he could not have said it for he was a preaching priest. He, he preached for a living. Now that statement, it makes a great bumper sticker. It looks cool on coffee cups. It typically gets boatloads of likes on social media. But Scripture poses a problem for that. Scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But notice what it goes on to say. But how then shall they call upon Him in whom they have not believed? Which that makes sense, right? Everyone who calls on Jesus will be saved. That's not a question. But what if they don't believe on Jesus? Well, if they don't believe on Jesus, they're never going to call on Jesus, are they? So there's a problem. Well, what would keep someone from believing on Jesus? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? So you can't believe on someone if you've never heard of them. And if you've never heard of them and you can't believe upon them, you won't call upon them and then you, you can't be saved. So why would someone not hear of Jesus? And how shall they hear Without a preacher. Preacher there don't, doesn't mean like what I'm doing. It just means someone to share. How shall they hear unless someone tells them? We, we have to use words when we preach the gospel. Because the gospel is a message to be proclaimed. Right? It, it's not something to be observed. It's not something that can be watched and seen. It is a, a message. Now the result of the gospel should be seen in our lives. But no matter how good we live, how faithfully we are to Christ, no one is going to see our lives and say, I need Jesus. Man, I'm going to call on Jesus to save me. The very best we can hope for is people will see how we live. They will see the things we do and they will say, why? Do you live the way you live? Why do you do the things you do? And in that moment, Peter says we must be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Which means we must speak the words. We must verbally share the gospel. Because if we won't tell them, they're not going to hear. And if they don't hear, they won't believe. And if they don't believe, they won't call on. And if they don't call on, they won't be saved. If, if, if you 
won't talk to the people in your sphere of influence and explicitly proclaim the gospel to them. Who will? If I will not explicitly proclaim the gospel to the people in my circle of influence, who will? The reality is, more than likely, no one will. And they will live in a town with like 11 evangelical churches. And everyone around them will assume the gospel in their lives. And will tell them things like, be good, try harder, give your life to God. And will never share with them what any of that stuff actually means. Talk to them explicitly about Jesus. And they will live ignorant. And they will die ignorant. And they will spend eternity in hell. How utterly tragic. To know handfuls of Christians. Who would say all the right things about the Bible. And yet not a one of them. Ever explicitly tell them what the gospel is and how they must respond. Psalm 34 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. If you and I have tasted and seen the goodness of Jesus, if we have experienced the blessing of trusting in Jesus, it should be natural for, want, for us to want others to taste what we've tasted. To experience what we've experienced and to be blessed the way we've been blessed by the one we are trusting in. But it will not happen unless we explicitly proclaim the gospel to those who need to taste and see the goodness of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Work in our lives and strengthen us to go out this week and have opportunities to explicitly proclaim the gospel. And when those opportunities arrive, give us the courage and the strength to do it. Lord, all of the things that, that we fear about that, it's not you. You have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's your word. So the fear we feel, it is the devil. It is the world's influence. It is our own sinful nature, but it is not and it never will be you. Overcome that in our lives. Give us opportunities. And as we share and explicitly declare the gospel, let us see souls saved and lives changed. Do it for your glory. Do it to advance your kingdom and guidance, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.